This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sally Bashan, who is the Executive Director, Head of Data Governance at Federated Hermes. So, Sally, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's all right. It's uh, always a pleasure to have a listener as a guest. Uh, makes makes things slightly easier, I, I find. But um, as you'll know, where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and I guess journey up until this point in time, um, if you'd be so kind. No problem. So yes, at the moment, I'm head of data office at um, Federated Hermes, which is an asset manager. Um, I've spent over 20 years in the financial services um, industry, which definitely wasn't intentional, yeah. um, definitely accidental. I didn't leave school thinking um, I'm going to have my best life by managing data, um, <laughs> nothing like that. Um, but I guess um, early on, I did um, pick up some of the the things that I use now, I used to um, really at the beginning program my own computer games and then play them and it would take an hour to program them and then 10 minutes to play them before I got bored. So <laughs> definitely more interested in the programming than I was in the in the playing with them. Um, so I guess it's always kind of intrigued me data and it's been a theme throughout my career. Um, but I based my career really on never saying no to anything and being curious and kind of see where it leads me. There's no grand plan about it. Um, but I love opportunities with big possibilities, so complex challenges and simplifying things and having an impact. Um, I think it appeals to my logical mind and uh, my incessant need to fix things so um, and improve things. Um, all my qualifications, though, were in law. So I did a master's in legal practice, um, international civil recovery on fraud cases. I think the title was something like that. Um but when I left uni, I had to go and earn some money before I could go and do my postgraduate. So I ended up in an IT company um, working on a bespoke software system, looking at the requirements and the user testing. And that really piqued my interest. 
And I went to Aviva after that, um, and they relocated me to join their wealth management team. So that was the one I was going to stay in for maybe 10 minutes. And actually, it lasted 20 years. So uh, spent a lot of time at Aviva um, all across the business. I moved into their life company, and I worked in data warehousing and doing business analysis. Um, and I learned loads on requirements and architecture and models and implementations and things like that. Um, and then from there, I went on to do my postgrad qualifications and I really wanted to use my law qualifications. So I moved into financial crime, group financial crime, and that was really looking at internal fraud, um, organized crime hits against the company, that type of thing. And that was a global um, team. So it was working all across the world. And that was investigating financial crime, um, malpractice, um, gathering all the evidence, doing disciplinaries and civil recovery and um, criminal litigation, uh, criminal cases. Um, so that was being court witness or recovering the funds, that type of thing. Um, and that was a lot about data because that was systems, learning a system really quickly, making sure you really understood the business area you were working in so that you could stand up in court and get it right. Um, so that was a lot about data as well. And then um, from there, um, I thought after a while, I need to move on and have a look. Where should I work? Where haven't I investigated in Aviva? That's the place I want to go because no one wants to come and see you when you're doing investigations. Um, <laughs> and Aviva Investors, I hadn't really investigated. They didn't seem to have too many problems. So um, I went to work in Aviva Investors and um, had a fantastic leader, which I think is really important in any role. Did a business management job, um, which was basically to understand the business, front office, back office, how does it work? You know, how does this business function? Um, and that was a really good opportunity. It's always a good role, business management, just to understand that. Um, I worked for four years, um, ended up in as head of data and analytics um, before I moved to Federated Hermes. So a really roundabout way <laughs> across a lot of different kind of areas, operations, audit, financial crime, IT, you name it. Um, but a really good founding when it comes to data, I think. Yeah, 100%. There's a couple of things in there that I wanted to, to, to touch upon because such a, I guess, a fascinating journey that's kind of uncovered so many different facets and parts of a business and 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 things like that. But um, I think the, the thing around curiosity is yeah. massively underrated and not spoken enough about across the data analytics industry, right, in terms of just yeah. how how far that type of mindset can can take you um well, within some strange places i think but <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's good because you end up somewhere you didn't expect and um if you're endlessly curious about things then there's so much you can and and learning is um, obviously a big thing for me as well and you're just learning new things all the time and questioning you're asking why you know why are you doing that or why would you do that you know so that takes you an awful long lot of different places you wouldn't necessarily expect to go yeah, absolutely. I think I think that often also runs in parallel with kind of sharpening the problem solving skills, right? Which is so imperative yes. in the world of data analytics. Now it's about, you know, trying to understand business problems or opportunities and challenges and, and how do we fix that? And the curiosity takes you to the point of understanding the challenge and then the problem yes. solving kind of, you know, is is this is the solution, which is is fascinating. The second thing I wanted to touch on was the 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 degree in law um so many people go to law school and don't ever become lawyers yeah. which is the, the exact uh the exact same thing but interestingly enough i was listening to stephen bartlett's podcast the diary of a ceo and he had the uh one of the founders of shopify on there who said that he got the advice early on um in his life 
to go and study law, not to become a lawyer, but because it makes you really good at business and understanding business and how things function and all of that type of stuff. So uh, there's yeah. something in there somewhere, I think. Yeah, I think our very first lecture, when we turned up at university all ready to do law, the very first lecture, they literally came out and said, right, most of you are not going to be lawyers. Just get that in your head now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <No>. right. <laughs> all right. But it's true. It, it, it is a, it's a really good skill. I, I did it because I just loved the stories in law, the kind of history of it and the the case or things like that. When I look back, that's probably why I chose it. And also because if you say law, then it's quite generic to a lot of different careers that you can go into. So you're not actually pigeonholing yourself necessarily at that point. Um, but I did take offence to you're not going to be a lawyer. And I was like, well, absolutely, yeah, I am going to be a lawyer. Um, and then as I went into kind of the work, um, into the workforce, and I kind of saw what lawyers do and the environment and maybe that it wasn't for me it wasn't I'm I'm a bit of an introvert and when you tell graduates right you're going to join our company and you're all going to go out together and you're all going to do all these things together and you're pretty much going to live together and this is how it's going to be rah 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 yeah absolutely not I don't I do not want to be part thank you yeah. <laughs> that's not for me so I think even the sort of when you're when you're coming out of university and you're looking at the career that you want it needs to be something that's going to suit you and you don't necessarily know that when you're choosing a degree but you certainly maybe do a few years later so yeah but also very credible right always looks good on a cv no matter what you um so federated hermes then obviously a long long time at aviva across all the business you've landed at federated hermes for anyone that's not familiar just give us a little bit of insight into that business and, and what you do yeah so um federated hermes is a company that um Hermes was a company in London um, that was bought by a company called Federated based in Pittsburgh about four or five years ago, and they're integrating and hence they became Federated Hermes. Um, It's a global leader in active responsible investing. Um, They're guided by the conviction that responsible investing is the best way to create long-term wealth. Um, They're a business that has about 670 billion assets under management and about 1.3 trillion assets under advice. Um, they've got about 2,000 employees, roughly, uh, mostly based in um, Pittsburgh, London and Dublin, but around the world as well. And they look after things like active equ- equities, fixed income, liquid markets, um, private markets, things like real estate. So if you see um, King's Cross, which has all been redeveloped recently, that was a Federated Hermes um, placemaking scheme. So they really look at how the community is going to use that area, uh, what is needed, what's going to bring the businesses in, how do you live in that area? Um, and it's a really interesting part of the business um, headed up by um, Chris Taylor. So infrastructure um, as well. So wind farms, schools, that kind of thing. And then stewardship. So looking at corporate engagement, proxy voting and policy and advocacy. Um, so they have an EOS team, um, which is a pioneering stewardship service that engages with lots of different companies. Um, and they're aiming to deliver sustainable wealth creation that enriches investors, society and the environment. So very big on ESG. Um, they've been integrating ESG factors uh, really um, for years, long before it was labelled ESG. Mm. Um, I very much wanted to be integrated into the investment process as opposed to a separate thing. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that, Sally, for sure. Yeah. Um, what a fascinating business. Okay, fine. Um, in regards to your role and responsibility then before we jump feet first into the whole ESG piece obviously you've not been there long but you said you're basically tasked with running the the data office what what does that kind of consist of what 
you know, what are you tasked with achieving? What's the purpose of you being there for for kind of federated Hermes? Yeah, so I've been there about eighteen months, and um, really, when I looked at the job description, it was it was it was quite short, should we say? And that kind of gave me the tip off that maybe there's more needed than um, just the, just the kind of data governance heading that it had. Um, the trouble with data is you can never cut it off to one aspect of it. You're interlinked with so much of the other kind yeah. of parts of the business and data governance and privacy and security and everything. So so really it was quite a greenfield site, but from the point of it was a massively growing company. So what they'd had before worked perfectly fine um, while there were two separate businesses and what they needed as they were growing up into a joint business um, with such growth expectations was going to be different. So it's Greenfield from that point of view. Um, obviously, it had data governance in, in different aspects before. My job is to look at how we bring those two businesses together with my counterparts in the US, um, how we actually build our data models together, um, make sure we are implementing data governance that's consistent across the two organizations, uh, making sure that those foundations are really, really solid so that we can scale the business take out the complexity, make sure we get the basics right. And then to look at the vision and strategy of how we then leverage the data and how we move forward um, and look at the possibilities. Um, so bringing together, obviously, privacy, security, um, looking at target operator models for data management, um, and then making sure that we align with the technology strategy and build a data strategy that's going to fit with the business strategy. So all of the usual things that you would expect. Um, and then obviously ESG data as well being massive um, to make sure we get that right. Mm, yeah. The ESG thing from a data standpoint, which obviously we are going to delve into, but that's it's a fascinating space because you kind of getting into this realm of conversation all the time around, you know, where does that fit within a data analytics team? Is it its own thing? Does it have its own strategy? Does it support the data strategy? How does all that pull together? So I'm looking forward to kind of delving into how you're thinking about and, and kind of, you know, implementing how you tackle those challenges. I guess a great starting point then. Um, obviously, the topic of ESG has been around for many, many years, but has blown up relatively recently again, given the news and, and all of that type of stuff. So I guess a good starting point might be why sh why should people be interested in ESG as a topic now? You know, why is it important to everybody, not just businesses, not just data analytics teams, but, you know, more generally, why is it important? Why should people take notice? Yeah, I think you're right. It starts from just the awareness of people in general. So, you know, we're all more aware of the environmental factors. You know, we see um, the COP um, summits going on and we hear a lot more information about, you know, how our impacts are affecting the planet. So, you know, from an environmental point of view, you've got quite a lot of focus on it at the moment. Social factors are just um, coming to the forefront as well in terms of all the information that's available on the internet, the judgments that pe people can make, um, some of the geopolitical events which then impact companies. Um, people are more aware in general of these things, even if it's at a high level. You know, it strikes at the moment, the workforce and how that's impacting companies and um, obviously the NHS as well. Um, but people's interest in society with COVID and people rethinking their lives, um, there's an awful lot going on that is just making people stop and think about it. And then the demands they make of companies and their expectations of those companies, the higher standards that they expect. 
Um, and also, you know, when they do have some money to invest, they want to make sure that it's going to the right places. They don't want to invest in certain things that they don't believe in. So the belief systems are much more visible for people. So uh, you don't want to say the B word and talk about Brexit, but, you know, you you didn't necessarily know people's opinions before that discussion, that great discussion that the entire country had. But suddenly you are aware more that people's opinions may be different to yours and you've never thought they were before because you never really thought about it. Mm. So I think just the ability to be able to express yourself more on the internet also makes it um, a big debate. Yeah. So. I mean, it's a fascinating topic, but I think, you know, there's, there's probably several factors, but I think you're right. You know, the, the pandemic for obviously all of the the bad and the harm it caused, yeah. um, it did a lot of good just for, I guess, general life and people's views on things and bringing topics like this to the forefront and kind of more, you know, giving, allowing people to think about this stuff more in terms of their impact and what it means to them as an individual and families and, you know, regions and cities and towns and all of that type of, of good stuff, um, which is really interesting. And obviously then, you know, as digital transformation and social media is a thing, right. You know, it's just, this stuff is, is everywhere nonstop. So that makes perfect sense. I guess, Moving into business then, why should organisations and, you know, the boards and the ex-co's of organisations um, be interested slash worried slash concerned about this stuff? Well, I think that number one, the board's going to be interested because the clients are interested. So that kind of push from the public and the clients and, and everyone else brings it to the forefront. And obviously the regulator is then going to have a say in that as well. So the boards will do it because they're told to do it, some of them, and some will do it because they want to do it. Um, but looking at the ESG credentials, you should be able to look at the risks and impacts on your company, which is why ESG has to be at the centre of what you're looking at, not the side kind of project. Um, really needs to be truly planning your ESG factors to see what the stress on your business might be in certain situations if the supply chain collapses or, or whatever happens. So they should be interested because it's at the centre of their business strategy um, and knowing what those risks are and being able to act before it becomes something that you do in hindsight is obviously really important. And then reputationally as well, um, you know, people are looking to you see, are you an ethical company? You know, what are you doing about these things we care about? You know, the workforce. So, you know, I, I support the strike people, you know, people, those kind of things. People are getting behind it. So they're judging you. And then the financial services companies are looking um, at all of the different companies and how they manage their ESG and their risks. And they're making judgments based on do we invest in that company or do we not invest in that company as their risk factors for that company? Because the board haven't thought about these things properly or they haven't integrated it when they're thinking about their business strategy. So there's a lot of reasons why um, they need to they need to think about it. I think up till now it's been um, in some areas it's been a um, voluntary thing to to think about because the regulator hasn't been so strong, but clearly the regulations are going to increase and there's going to be more of a um, a, a review and overview of um, people and their how they're using the ESG metrics and how they're implementing them. Um, and it won't be a choice, so they might as well they might as well start looking at it now. Um, and you want it to be right. So obviously, if you if you're reporting the metrics, you need them to be consistent. You do find some companies will report something in one place and then something different in their financial accounts to maybe on their website, and so you get different versions of the truth. And it needs to be consistent because reputationally, you don't want to be that company that seems to be just you know, not really taking the numbers seriously and, and you could get greenwashing allegations of all sorts. So, 
if you're going to do it, you've got to do it right. Mm. The some of the uh, comparisons uh, and I guess parallels to some of the conversations we've had more generally across data are uh, quite striking, right? You know, there's a, there'll be many businesses out here that. Uh, pay lip service to this stuff and do it because they're being told to do it because regulation focuses the the attention more than anything else, right? And then also you think about the, the point that you mentioned around how from a, an investment standpoint, you know, businesses like yours will be looking at who do we invest with? Are they taking this seriously? Because obviously that has a knock-on effect on your brand and reputation and all of that type of stuff. But I guess if you think about the private equity sector, you know, they're looking at organizations now and saying, well, are they data-driven? Do they take this data stuff seriously? And businesses that are, you know, actually data-driven, in quotation marks, um, get higher valuation. And it feels yeah. like that's going to be the same with ESG, right? You know, businesses that are taking, uh, actually taking this stuff seriously and and trying to fix the problem and kind of, you know, be part of the solution, so to speak, are probably going to fare better on, on that. No, I was just going to say, that's not to say that you wouldn't necessarily invest in a company that um, you can't see maybe, you know, they have done so much on the ESG. It's one of the many factors that you're going to look at. Um, so it's an indicator rather than anything else, especially with um, our engagement team. We'd certainly engage with the company and have that discussion. You know, do you think actually you'd have a longer term, you know, higher higher return if you actually looked at these things as well? Um, but it's definitely one of the factors that's looked at. So something that should be taken seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, it's still very early days yet yeah, in the grand scheme, right? So, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see how see how the journey unfolds, which will be interesting, no doubt, I, I guess. Um, one thing that was just floating around in my, my mind, so I'll, I'll kind of ask the question, but it seems like of all the businesses that we speak to around the ESG stuff, there's a massive focus within the realms of financial services across the financial services spectrum that is definitely heightened more so than other sectors at this point in time why why do you think that is i think um a lot of it's possibly driven by the fact that they've been doing it for a while so you know governance we've been looking at forever you know it's not new <laughs> is yeah. it you said at the beginning um and certainly like well regulated companies and and governed companies are are more secure from a financial services point of view that's what you're going to be interested in um and you know, reputationally, obviously, you've you've got the banks that have been in trouble recently and things like that. So you can see the impacts where it's not taken seriously or it's not done properly. Um, in terms of environmental and social factors, again, it, it goes straight to the kind of the profitability and the, you know, the resilience of the company. So when you're wanting to work with a partner or you're looking at their supply chain, you know, you're looking at all of these things of what's the risk with that company. These are the things that you're going to be looking at. So I don't think it's new to financial services companies and voluntarily a lot of them have been um, reporting their ESG metrics long before they were told they had to. Um, I think it's it's something that's going to become bigger and bigger and spread out wider. Obviously, more companies now have to report, um, but it's just not a new thing. And most people in financial services want to do the right thing. They want to find those companies that are really ethical. They want to have that in their brand as well, that they are an ethical company themselves and they deal with ethical people. So, you know, it's 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 a good thing for most companies. It's something that they certainly they will seek out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess tying that back to kind of data and analytics then, um, how does all of this kind of unfold in terms of ESG, where it fits? You know, what what does what does this mean as far as data analytics teams and capabilities goes with inside organisations? Yeah, 
I think, um, especially in financial services, data teams are very used to dealing with financial data and have been obviously for a very long time. But ESG data is different. It talks a different language. Certainly the analysts will tell you there's different patterns in the data. Um, they, they almost have to learn this new language. So for a data analytics person, I think it's something that you really want to get yourself educated on. And, and it's not to the point of your normal just kind of um, understand the data in the context of your company. I think you really benefit from reading wider and understanding the the wider kind of implications and and why we're looking at ESG in that sense. So I think it's it's really interesting. It's a different type of data. So I think it's a good one to um, to have a personal interest in and read around on. And in terms of governance and things like that, it's very similar. It's gonna you, you need it in the same framework. You can't create something separate for ESG data. But there are going to be a lot of different considerations um, just because it's a different type. So you issue a hierarchy, how you allocate that data to companies and which level of the company you allocate it to. And, you know, how you're going to deal with um, coverage issues because you don't have all of the data available. And then your data standards of how you're going to deal with the data gaps and things like that. So there's an awful lot of considerations, most of which are very similar to other data, but some of which are definitely unique. The ESG data and the data and analytics team have really got to get their heads around that and make sure they understand the context of that particular data set. Mm. I guess in regards to, you know, obviously we're forever kind of talking about and conversing on and debating in many incidents, uh, instance, uh, instances that things around literacy, adoption, mm. culture, where does ESG fit into that conversation? Because obviously, as we've discussed, the regulation is going to force that conversation upon us right but um i imagine that it's because it's there is such a um i don't want to use the word hype because that's not the right word but you know there's there's, there's kind of such a uh, a buzz around the topic at the moment given what's coming down the pipeline that you know especially stakeholders and executive boards and stuff are going to want to know what's going on within the realms of this but how does this differ in any way at all in terms of kind of literacy and adoption and making sure it's all being used and understood i think it's um it's one which you need to pay more attention to literacy of i mean generally you'll be looking at that within your company anyway Um, but for example on the esg data we incubate smaller teams to actually really understand it i don't think it's something that i would throw into a centralized kind of data team at this point because there's so many nuances to that data Um, and you want to educate the entire business Um, we have obviously the front office teams that are specialists in in esg but the back office that are more the process type thing you'd want them to be educated as well so you can understand the context that that data's been used in because it's so easy to misunderstand it or to get the wrong context and because there's so many different methodologies in terms of how you calculate some of the different metrics, and there's a thousand different ways to do it. So you need to make sure that everyone's talking that same language and you've got to be consistent. So it's, it's very much the same thing that you do with the normal data that you'd have, financial data that you'd have, but you really do have to pay specific attention to it, I think. So that's why we incubate it in a, into a particular support team. Mm. If we think about, obviously, what we were talking about earlier on in the conversation around how people are just generally more aware and interested in this stuff do you think that will help in regards to understanding it in a business context because you know people are more you know can relate maybe to uh to esg as a topic more so than i don't know you know what are we 
customer yeah. data as example and how yeah. do you use that and benefit that from a commercial not as dry. Yeah. it's not as dry as other data so there's definitely more interest I think you still find it hard to find the right skill set um, because it's a new-ish topic and there's not the um, the people coming through the pipelines that necessarily have a lot of experience so it's one way you'll possibly train people up that have um, alternative experience that may well translate um, or they'll have maybe one aspect that you want and then you have to train the other so they might be able to go and talk to people but might not be so technical or you might get the technical and they'll not be able to talk to people quite so much so you're definitely always training the people up but it's certainly one which a lot of people are interested in so they'll want to come and learn more um, especially at Hermes where we've done it for so long we've got a lot that people can learn um, from just working in the business so um, some really specialist teams that people want to work alongside um, but you do have to work hard on the general kind of population of everyone understanding to be able to make it as smooth as possible mm, yeah I imagine it it's probably one of those the the interest from the general public you know that kind of seeps into businesses but obviously it's about making it relatable and contextual to the nuances of that particular business and what it means and how you talk about it and stuff like that which is uh, always fascinating but always challenging right um, yeah it's a house of great debate it is there's a lot of conversation that goes on because it's such um an easy one to have an opinion on in terms of how you think it should be done because the regulations and the standards are fairly new and how you interpret those um and which methodologies do you want to use and which are best and which are not and has a company uh, report their figures and do they agree with it so if, for example, it's financial data, you'd say, this is what it is. And everyone would say, yeah, pretty much agree with that. If you put some ESG data out and they go, this is what it is, they'll get 100 people going, no, it isn't. No, it isn't, because I read something last week which says that that's not true. Um, and, and they're probably right. You know, they probably have read something. The data's probably last year's data because it's reported once a year or whatever. So it's not um, current necessarily in the sense that financial data would be. So yeah. there's a lot of debate around it. Yeah, I know there's there's been, um, I guess, some challenge around getting hold of this data and the accuracy of the data that's being provided by third parties, and you know, a lot of um, a lot of debate around that topic. What's been your experience thus far? Yeah, well, there's so much choice because suddenly there's a lot of companies that do um, from nothing to an awful <laughs> lot that suddenly do um, provide the data, and they all have their pros and cons. They all have, you know, some bits of have less courage in some areas and some in others um, and an awful lot of different data sets coming in so even now we're looking at nature-based data so you'll have maybe 20 30 providers where you get an ESG data from and then someone will come along and say but I would like this data from over here and you know we'd like to take some data from some open source on the internet and we're going to use that and you know because they really do want to get it right so they're really analyzing as they're looking at the data analyzing 100% of the time it's not something that is a stable data set because they're all quite immature. They're growing, the standards are growing, the kind of understanding and the industry language that they're talking is, is adapting all the time. So just the practicality of onboarding and offboarding data sets and which are the latest ones we're using, which we're not using, which have we found are not good enough. You know, have we found, you know, we want to test some out, want a sandbox environment to test something out, you know, 
that's a lot in terms of data governance and, and managing that data load. That's a lot. Um, but they are sometimes they are low in terms of their data quality, um, which you'll obviously be picking up. Um, and at the same time, you're putting it into an operational environment when you're in, in our business. It's going into an operational environment. So you'll have companies that say, well, we don't do SLAs because that's not, you know, we'll pick it up as and when we can. You're like, well, that's not good enough because if we put it into a investment contract you know we have to provide that data on a particular date that we've said we will and we need it consistently so there's lots of kind of early challenges i'd say that you wouldn't find in other data sets um i'm sure it will settle down or it has been settling down there's some really good companies out there that are providing it um obviously the bank of england are looking at ratings agencies and whether they should be regulating those ratings agencies and the industry standards are developing as we go um, to make sure that we kind of are all talking the same language. So things are moving, but it is a difficult environment to to manage that data through. Mm, yeah, I've uh, I mean had numerous conversations where you know organisations are saying they're they're using a whole suite of providers and trying to compare and contrast and come to some kind of you know some common denominator of uh, across the different metrics to get a rough average figure that they can use as a benchmark for now whilst the maturity of all this stuff um catches up which i guess is is great for you know bigger organizations that have the luxury of being able to go and purchase this as and when they need it right but i guess for um maybe smaller organizations where cost is a factor what have you got any kind of advice on maybe some of the stuff or things that people should be thinking about in terms of getting the accuracy of the data and you know the completeness of it and, and stuff like that yeah, I think, if you, as you say, you know, if you you need to really do your research first and see what you're happy with. You need, really need to understand that data and build the expertise within your company, even if it's in one or two people, just to be able to challenge back. Because sometimes, you know, if the quality is a bit low in one area, you have a discussion with that, that provider. They are looking to improve their data all the time anyway. They're looking for that feedback and that partnership to make it better so that direct open communication is is really important and sometimes they'll agree with you and sometimes they'll say no that's that's what it is you know that's that's what we go with i think when you're a company that is just taking the metrics and reporting them as they are um as they're given to you and you're not questioning you're not going back that sometimes makes it easier because obviously there are some companies that will will just literally produce you know what what they've been given um, when you look at more bespoke kind of methodologies and, you know, really interrogating it, that's when you're kind of bringing up more of the exceptions and the, so you're creating the work for yourself in, in some respects, I guess, because you are really challenging yourself. Well, actually, I don't think that's right. Or, you know, you're getting involved in the debate of how do we make this better? Um, so I think you do have to work out what the model, what model is best for you and your company. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Makes, uh, makes perfect sense. So I guess I'd be keen to delve into then Sally, how, you know, the journey that you've been on just to give the audience a bit of kind of, you know, flavor and insight in terms of what you're doing around this, how you're using it, how it's being managed, how you've set up the team to be able to su- support that. Um, if you, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. So, um, as I say, I came in about 18 months ago and it's really, um, where the company is, is growing at su- such a large rate. Um, I think if there was nothing, it would have been maybe easier because I could have just taken some of the metrics and, you know, just processed that and everyone would have been happy. But it's not that company is because they go into it in such great detail and they really care about it. Um, there have been bespoke methodologies within the company where they created them early on, where there just wasn't any standards or methodologies, and they really kind of had the thought leadership on it. So an awful lot of work and thought has gone into it already. 
um, before I arrived that um, these bespoke methodologies were in place. There's a bespoke um, platform that they use to, to put the information on. Um, and really, they use it in maybe a slightly different way to, to other people that are maybe just joining the debate now. Um, so we have quite a lot of um, expertise in the business and that makes it more challenging for a data team because obviously they are more opinionated on it they will come back and challenge and they will tell you what's right what's wrong very quickly which is a which is a really good thing um but we've um, been looking at making it a lot slicker to be able to onboard and offboard um we make making it as simple as possible so those foundations are really good data governance foundations are in place um, looking at the SLAs for some of the suppliers and whether we can improve on those and also educating people on the, the rights of when you buy the data and what can you use it for because there's often an awful lot of constraints about what you can use it for and the disclaimers that you have to put with it. So making sure generally that everyone's educated on what it can and can't be used for. So an awful lot of those kind of basic um, points that we've been making it easier for ourselves. Um, at the same time, obviously, you want to stay at the forefront of that that kind of thought leadership. So we're looking forward to what do we need to do in the next five years and 10 years? And how is it going to be evolve, evolve? And how do we make sure we're adhering to the regulation that's coming in? So a lot of different debates. Um, but the data and analytics team, um, really, it's been about understanding and learning for themselves um, ESG data because it's a new team as well bringing in people um, that understand the data, but they've got to learn maybe the ESG aspects and um, really kind of engaging an awful lot. So a lot of conversations with people in the business, obviously in the US and in the UK, and making sure that we're talking the same language across those two companies as well. Um, so it's an awful lot of training, stakeholder management, <laughs> putting in place the processes, um, and then trying to work out what the strategy is. So we've created a specific data strategy for ESG data just because it is such a big thing for us. Um, and there's so many different debates and opinions. It was important to pull everything together into one paper just to um, have it as a starting point and call it a strategy, but it's probably more of a white paper to bring together all of the issues and all of the kind of challenges and make sure we're planning for the for the future as opposed to just fixing things now because in data you often get people just running to the latest big noise and you know what's the biggest thing that's just crashed at the moment and actually from an ESG point of view because of the maturing of the market you've got to make sure that plan is is a long-term plan yeah yeah absolutely makes um makes perfect uh, perfect sense I guess in terms of the the team setup then because i'm sure there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are interested in how you're you're kind of tackling that challenge have you kind of set up a, is it a separate esg team or is it part of a central data team what what's the focus so we have central data team but we have a specific esg support team and at the moment they are doing data management within that support team so normally we would have it um, in the central um, data management team, but because we need to incubate that knowledge and expertise, um, that team is specifically supporting the ESG and responsibility office. Um, so you're looking at people with a particular interest in ESG and obviously some data experience as well, but they're also answering general questions to the business on ESG matters as well. So it's a bit of a combined role. It's a great training ground for people, but it's, um, it's a bit of a combined role in terms of the data office itself, where we've got the data governance analysts. Um, they, they're in a separate team in a central data office. Hmm. So that will evolve. I imagine that operating model will evolve as we go through the next few years. Yeah, 
yeah makes makes sense i guess how how have you um kind of merged or parsed or whatever word we need to use in terms of getting the you know the esg strategy the esg data strategy into the data strategy alongside the, <laughs> the business strategy how, how, how is all that kind of flow yeah, well, at the moment, because we are joining up and, and it is such a big change environment, it's important to have the individual data strategies. Um, we have an overall um, kind of three pillar approach to um, our general data and strategy and how we're working as a team, as in implementing the data governance and looking at knowledge management and um, get the basics and the tooling in place and all of those kind of good things. Um, and then the risks and um, risk management and the data controls and things like that. So we have kind of that general data strategy, which links up into each of the business units, um, but specifically for some of the less mature um data areas will have a specific data strategy so this one for ESG will particularly talk to you know what is the data management environment that we have and what do we want what is the platform that we have and how do we want to develop it you know what is the um, exec um, priorities and how do we meet those and then you know how do we deal with immature data sets and onboarding and offboarding you know looking at all those individual aspects so that everyone who is having that discussion and part of that discussion can be on the same page before we move forward yeah i guess from uh you know the separate components of e s and g how does that play out in reality in a you know live environment in terms of the prioritization of how these things all kind of unfold because as you said at the top of the conversation you know the the environmental stuff is front of mind for everybody you know because we're always talking about that stuff and the societal you know with politics and strikes and all of that type of of stuff but i guess in terms of you know the reality of the situation in a live environment how do you kind of navigate those you know the different pillars of of the esg component um i don't know if we um we separate them that much because we've been doing it for a long while because we have it integrated into the investment process when they're making those considerations those are all things they have their fiduciary duty obviously that they need to look at the wealth creation and and do what the client wants but those three elements will make up part of a, a whole raft of information so once it gets to that point there's an awful lot of other things that are, that are looked at as well, um, not just the ESG. So from that point of view, we don't separate it out. And then therefore from the data on the platform and how we manage the data, we don't separate it out as well. I mean, obviously some of the data is better than others because you might have more environmental data, for example, than you do maybe data on the social side of things. So, you know, within each of those, there's going to be a lot of different um, aspects in terms of, quality of that data and um, the ability to collect that data um, and the, the the coverage and the benchmarks of you know how it's calculated it's going to be different so you do have to it's, it's one of those things and I think it's generally in data you go right the way up to the strategy kind of level then right the way down to the bottom level of data and you're pinging backwards and forwards all the time uh, when you're looking after it but um, yeah it's not really separated as such I wouldn't say mm, yeah no, that's uh that's really interesting um a couple of things that i would like to finish on then so uh, obviously you know we know regulation always focuses the attention so if you think about you know the conversations that we often have in the realms of data and analytics especially over the last 
couple of years around, you know, the commercialization or monetization, if you want to call it that, of how data analytics adds value to an organization commercially. Obviously, things like GDPR, the commercial benefit is that you don't get a big fat fine, right? So that that's really obvious from a regulatory standpoint. Um the other side of the coin, I don't know, you know, if you're uh, a finance, you know, a bank or whatever the case may be, by understanding your customers better, you're more likely to be able to put the right types of products at the right place at the right time to make money. Um, I guess, is there one key driver or one main factor here from a commercial standpoint as to kind of where ESG fits with that in terms of, you know, the requirements and the the benefit or the impact or the consequence of good or bad ESG, you know, from a commercial standpoint? I think from from a commercial standpoint, I'd say, you know, you can see where it goes wrong. So if you're if you're not looking at it, you can see where the banks have failed because of the governance. You can see where um a company's taken a massive hit because actually reputationally um they've taken the wrong stance or made a completely, you know, decided on a wrong policy for something. Um, so you can see there's an example with Walmart where they decided on a policy where they wouldn't sell a certain type of ammunition. Um, and that was something that they got a lot of criticism for. But actually, when they looked at the sales figures afterwards, they realized that more people went to more Walmart because they didn't, you know, because, because they put the policy in place. So, you know, I think there's that's why it's got to be integrated. And that's why it's got to be really in the center of the business decisions and the the policy and the strategy for how you're going to grow your business. You know, if you don't see a risk coming or if you, you know, don't move because your demographics have moved um, or there's some geopolitical thing happening in a, in a market, which is your main market, then, you know, there's going to be massive commercial repercussions from that. So it's just good, sensible governance from the board or decisions from the board that you know are going to make that company sustainable over the long time over the long period yeah Um, yeah yeah so i guess there is you know the the obvious things around risk and regulation and what happens if you get that horribly wrong but also then the other side is around um you know brand reputation brand recognition customer loyalty based on the decisions you're making about this type of of stuff right yeah people just demand more they do and um you know because everything's on the internet because people can read it very quickly very fast they're going to make judgments they're more happy to make judgments and be vocal about it then you know it's more in the open it's not something you can do behind closed doors anymore and you know so it wasn't because that was something else you know people can see what you're doing and they can see you know where a strategy's gone well or it hasn't and how your company's fared that way you've got glass door and people rating whether they want to work for your company at all you know so yeah so it's, it's all a lot more visible um and therefore it benefits the company to be able to discuss those points and to say where they've done a really good thing or where they've invested in a particular area because actually that makes sense for their company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so to finish then, I guess the future of ESG almost seems odd to say that, seeing we're so early on in the conversation from a data standpoint, but I guess where do you see this going over You know, the next three, five 10 years how does that all embed itself into this conversation yeah i think well i think it will um standardize so i think it will be a lot easier going forward there'll be more regulation no doubt in the meantime there'll be a lot of people scrambling to to get everything in place to be able to report i think it'll get more um visibility so actually from a data team's point of view it'll be really helpful 
um, because you know data teams sometimes get stuck in the background and you can't see the um, the link to the data the, to the business strategy and you can't see the link to the commercial value of it. But actually, the ESG kind of commercial value of that there's a direct link there that actually the data teams can really help with. So you can really connect people to their company strategy in a way that some of the other data maybe you can't do. So I think that it's going to be of more interest to people. There's definitely going to be more people wanting to specialise in the ESG data. Um, and as the regulation comes along, it's going to be a really valuable um, skill to have. So I think there's lots of possibilities, which is, you know, my favourite thing. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm really pleased, but I think it will be challenging. I think it's a, it's a lot to navigate uh, as well as all the normal data things that you're you're trying to cover i think it's an another element um but one that you do have to pay close attention to yeah i guess because we're, we're kind of in this space at the moment where it's still it's still very greenfield for practically yeah. every business right so they're kind of spinning up these teams to tackle this challenge but i guess over the longer term do you you know when this becomes more the norm and business as usual shall we say do you think that you know it will just kind of almost morph itself back into the general data analytics teams so it doesn't need necessarily its own team and its own strategy it can almost just coexist alongside all the other data that you know data teams are already working with yeah i think absolutely i think um the same with data merging into everyone's everyday jobs you know everyone should be good at data and everyone should be able to you know analyze it and understand it um that that's good that makes good business sense and i think esg data will it's coming up behind um that it will actually merge into the everyday and it will just be something that's considered as part of a raft of other considerations so i think you know it's just that journey of training and educating people and getting the context and getting the stability there and and then it will just be another thing that people do and there'll be some other big <laughs> big thing come along that then is the new thing so yeah 100 100 percent. well sally look thank you so much for spending time with us today and coming on the show it's been uh, fascinating to hear how you're kind of tackling some of these current challenges and, and current landscape and uh, yeah we look forward to seeing how the rest of the journey unfolds for you Brilliant. Thank you ever so much. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.